Consequence Podcast Network. Allison, Clint, and Kate here. Uh-huh. You know us. <laughs> you you at least tolerate us. <laughs> yes. And as a result, you know that we all really love one show and one show only. There are other shows that have our affection, but mm-hmm. there's only one that truly has our hearts as a group. <laughs> it is it's our song, if you will, as a threesome. And that song is DC's Legend of Tomorrow. Um, the CW's uh precious cherub of a TV series. <laughs> And we discovered shortly before hitting the old record button that while Clint and I both know the episode of the season premiere uh, coming to us, blessing our TVs in October, Kate does not. So what you are about to hear is a live, honest reaction from a person who loves Legends of Tomorrow to the title of the the season, what is it, four? Four. Season four four premiere. (laughs) They made it. Precious Cherub, DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Kate, are you ready? I I feel like it's I couldn't possibly be more ready <laughs> after that buildup. <laughs> Clint, All hit right. her with your best shot. All right. The Virgin Gary. <laughs> nice. Ah, <sighs> that's awesome. Welcome to TV Party. <laughs> first name basis yeah, this episode yeah whatever who fuck it yeah use the internet <laughs> you want to know our last names you'll have to work for it right. um we are super excited to talk about one thing this week well no we're mostly excited to talk about one thing le- this week we are somewhat less excited to talk about the other uh the first being the 2018 emmy nominations the second being the second season of the handmaid's tale Ray. Um, it makes me want to drink a glass of branded Serena Joy White. <sighs> or maybe not. Maybe it doesn't yeah. because that's fucking sick. Anyway, uh, we are going to start by talking about some news, but then we're going to get into Handmaids. If you either didn't watch the second season of Handmaids or have no interest in hearing any more about it, which I could totally understand, you've got timestamps in your show notes on whatever po- podcast platform you're using. Go ahead once we finish talking about the news and our episodes of the week and jump ahead to our uh, mostly positive Emmy chat. Because yes. there were a lot of good things this year. Some really frustrating, disappointing things, but a lot of really good things this year, too. So, uh, let's kick it off by talking about news, shall we? Yes, we shall. Um, first off, uh, let's talk about Sasha Baron Cohen's new show, uh, This Is... Um, uh, this Is it called This Is America? No, that's Who not Who is, is America? Who is America? Not Donald Glover's music video. Who is America? Uh, but basically, he's been filming that, going undercover as various characters, and basically, we, we know this because there's now been a trail of angry conservatives who have been railing on social media about how Sasha Baron Cohen has tricked them. Uh, it was Joe Walsh, and there was infamously... Uh, Sarah Palin complained about Joe like, Arpaio, Joe Arpaio, uh, all kinds got of stuff. Footage of Dick Cheney autographing what's apparently a waterboarding kit. I have no idea how to feel about this, but the but Showtime has been keeping it 
very much under wraps. We know very little about it other than that it's premiering at midnight Eastern on Sunday. So by the time you're hearing this, it will already be out. This news will already be old, um, but it will be fucking everywhere on Monday. So congratulations, time traveler. You know more than we do. Very true. Yeah. Kate, what do you think about this? I am of so many minds on this one because I, you know, part of me will always take joy in, you know, seeing conservatives dunked on. Yeah, just just dunking on people who are terrible, regardless of party affiliation, but people who have done very painful, destructive things to ruin people's lives. Then watching them be humiliated is part of me, something that I can enjoy. But it's also, who is this for? What is the point of this? Is this actually going to do anything besides let people who already know that these are despicable individuals pat themselves on the back for knowing how despicable they are? Like, I don't know that it's actually going to do anything. So I'm of two minds. Yeah, at least it's not Brothers Grimsby, I guess. That's my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I'm sort of withholding judgment. I sometimes Sashburn Cohen does his thing, and I think it's brilliant and um, very thought provoking and subversive. And he makes people so upset because they're sort of showing the worst part of themselves without realizing it. And I think that can be really valuable. Also, sometimes it's really self satisfied and smug, and I find that less <laughs> engaging. Obviously, <laughs> so I am I'm also withholding judgment. Yeah, I'm um, also just wondering if like that time is now past where the people who would be embarrassed at having their most you know base instincts revealed uh don't care anymore yeah Yeah. it's possible so uh speaking of i don't know base instincts there is (laughs) i i'm gonna mostly direct you to find something that's written about this we covered it at consequence of sound you can also find it at basically all of the entertainment trade publications it was originally broken by the new york times audio was leaked of an hbo meeting uh the result of the big fancy evil conglomerate merger that's happening in the world um where the various higher ups at HBO and its affiliate companies over corp slash corporate overlords were talking about the future of HBO with the general tilt being that HBO needed to be more like Netflix, not do some things extremely well, but do more things and then attempt to do them all extremely well. Basically, um, Clint and Kate haven't, really stumbled across the story so we don't have a ton to say now but i'm sure we'll be talking about it more in the weeks to come it was a relatively late-breaking story and um is sincerely big news if that if hbo is really making a shift like that so i'm sure we will continue to hear about that and i urge you to do some reading it's really interesting and a little frustrating as a lover of great tv so uh yeah Check yeah. that out. In better news, in sunnier TV news, or at least like in terms of like filmmakers, we like getting good work. Uh, Ava DuVernay is doing a series on the Central Park Five. Tell me about that. She is making a limited series about the Central Park Five. Um, a group of men wrongfully accused of rape that were still being wrongfully accused of rape by Donald Trump as of 2016. And yeah. they were young men when yes. this, they were they were kids when this happened yes yeah. um it is a four-part series quote that 
tells the tale of perhaps the most infamous wrongful conviction cases in U.S. history. The story follows the five Harlem teens who were convicted of a brutal rape they did not commit, all based on false, coerced confessions. Uh, We'll chronicle the story from their first police interviews in 1989 through exoneration in 2002, and finally their successful $41 million lawsuit against the city of New York. The cast includes... Uh, Vera Farmiga, Michael K. Williams, and John Leguizamo, which are three names, all of That's... which individually would be enough to get me excited about this. Even if you excuse the <laughs> Ava DuVernay part, like all three of those people, I was like, yes, give me. <laughs> so, um... <laughs> yeah, Ava DuVernay with a ta- cast of unknowns would be exciting enough. But yeah, yeah add, add those but names those in. three... Um, very, very interesting actors who consistently both pick interesting projects and do interesting work. So yeah, it's hard for me to, like, I, I kind of want to pick one, like which one am I most excited about? But uh, I, I just can't. Um, I just can't. Yeah. I'm just excited that Ava DuVernay has another show because as will become a bit of a theme in my comments over the podcast episode today, um, she does Queen Sugar. And it's amazing and one of the best and most underseen and discussed shows in at least uh, the bubble of Twitter that I am in, um, which is a, a, a admittedly very white bubble. But um, she knows how to make a movie, obviously, and she knows how to make a f- really great TV show as well. So I look forward to what I'm sure will be an excellent miniseries movie indeed well speaking of queens sugar or otherwise oh god i know i was i was (laughs) hoping for applause but i got booze and i will take it uh rupaul is getting another tv show she uh he's doing a pilot for a daytime talk show not to be confused with the rupaul show there isn't a network yet so it's the same production company that produces ellen degeneres daytime talk show what they're saying is it's not going to include any cooking Mm -hmm. or any fitness (laughs) At all, um, but will be filmed in front of a live audience and focus on positivity. Uh, mm-hmm. And Michelle Visage is also playing a large role. So, uh, pr- assuming that gets picked up, which to be honest, I find a little bit hard to believe that it won't, given the sort of meteoric rise of Drag Race in popular consciousness over the last several years. Um, And also because RuPaul is really good at stuff like that. Uh, That would be a daytime talk show that would be like, like Ellen, but with RuPaul. Well, there you go. Presumably slightly nattier suits. Ellen Mm -hmm. also wears some really natty suits. But they're not usually Klein Epstein Parker. They're finally moving forward with a Why the Last Man show. I don't know what network it's going. It may go FX. on. So Why FX, the Last Man, yeah. finally, after several, oh, it's going to be a thing. No, wait, it's not going to be a thing. Incidents. Yeah, like Shia LaBeouf is going to be Why for a hot second. Uh, it's going to pilot at FX. And it was announced this week that Diane Lane is joining the cast, which I am so excited about. <laughs> not quite like Leguizamo, Michael K. Williams, Vera for me, get a level excited, but pretty excited. Um, and that is really good news. Clint, who is playing Yorick? Barry Keown, who uh, was in Dunkirk, and he, and I, I had mixed feelings about the killing of a sacred deer, but he's great in that. And then he was in American Animals. He's like this really interesting, rising young actor. And uh, yeah, it's good. It's a crazy good choice. Yeah. 
uh, and also a crazy good graphic novel. So that's really good news. Yeah. Queer Eye and Pose both got renewed. Not much to say other than that. That's one slightly more surprising than the other, but both really good news. Yes. Uh, Queer Eye is actually going to Kansas City, which I'm very excited about. And a last piece of good news for the week, since there's so much bad news everywhere else. Crazy yeah. Ex-Girlfriend was given a season four order that is 18 episodes instead of 13. And that is just terrific. I wonder how many more songs that is. That's yeah. probably at least 10 more songs. That's our news of the week. Um, let's move on to our picks of the week. Allison, what did, what did you like this week? Uh, I want to talk briefly about Harlots, which is a series that I enjoy mostly in like a kind of fun, pulpy, costumey, good swearing, lots of good acting kind of way, but which occasionally um, hits at something smarter and more provocative about women's autonomy and the violence, both emotional and physical, that women can commit against each other when put in situations where they have to fight for their existence and their right to be alive. Um, the season two premiere is good, but it's follow up. Uh, it's one of those series that doesn't name things. So we'll just call it the chaos episode is great. Uh, I, because it's fresh out of the gate and I know that Clint and Kate are not watching. Is that correct guys? Uh, I'm yeah, I'm not caught up. I don't want to say too much in that case, but an unexpected death throws a whole bunch of plans that nearly everybody in the show was making in one way or another into absolute disarray. Uh, the, the season two premiere sets them all on each of them on a very specific course. They all have goals. They all have aims. A character's death means that everybody is suddenly scrambling, even the people that seem the most composed and the most focused. And it's, uh, incredibly energetic in that way. It was, um, a very gripping watch really well acted by Samantha Morton in particular, but man, they are all really great on that show. That is a terrific cast. Nice. Uh, I also want to briefly mention Sharp Objects. Are either of you watching that? Yes. I'm, I'm behind. No, I haven't yet. Okay. Well, it's the the episode I picked is Dirt, which will be airing uh, the day before you hear this. <laughs> <laughs> so again, I don't want to say too much for to ruin things for Kate and Clint. Um, but if the season one or if the season premiere series premiere is all about getting you acquainted with Camille played by Amy Adams, then the second episode is really about getting to know wind gap and the kind of place it is and the effect it would provoke on someone like Camille or someone from the outside as Chris Messina's character is, um, it's particularly interesting in its use of sound. Every time you walk into a room, the wonderful sound design makes you feel as though you are in Camille's shoes and actively being gossiped about by everyone who is looking at you. It is incredibly tense and really, really well done. Uh, surprisingly funny in places. Um, but for me, this is the point where this season really started to take off. So I can't wait for other people to see it. It's great. 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 <laughs> well, I look forward to finally catching it. Uh, Kate, what are your picks? Um, I want to give a shout out to Queen Sugar, which had a really strong episode. And they had Elscott uh, um, Caldwell, Caldwell on. Um, oh, I love her. Oh, oh nice. It's not, it's, she's been on a couple times, but it was a really good episode for her. Um, and then Claus had... Like, okay, so we've been talking about some of the best episode title names, right? The, <laughs> the, the title of this week's episode of Claus is Vaginalologist. 
<laughs> because there's a character who's a gynecologist and that's just too much for Uncle Daddy to process as a name so he he doesn't know it's called gynecologist. He's aren't you a vaginologist or something? Um so yeah, anyways, it was it was a crazy episode of Claws, which I know I've said several times whenever I've brought it up, but it was yet again. And uh a very exciting twist for what's going to be the second half of the season so that's still super fun but my episode this week had to be pose yeah. right you guys watched love is the message oh it, god uh, yes stuff happened and i don't like like it was good and interesting but what matters is that billy porter and mj rodriguez sang home and oh my it, god. like it was amazing and, and billy porter also separately sang his own song too but like it was amazing so yes. like, run don't walk to YouTube and 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 at least watch that that little moment. It's um, I so first when Billy Porter sings as pray tell, mm-hmm. sings it's a it's a standard called for all we know, which has been one of my favorites since I was a little kid. Um, when I was obsessed with Ella Fitzgerald, and so I knew all the standards, <laughs> and that mm-hmm. was always one of my favorites of hers. Um, it's also famously recorded by Donny Hathaway, and that is the version that he is singing, and it is so beautiful. And then MJ Rodriguez shows up, and I didn't c- quite catch what she said when she walks up to the pianist and says, hey, do you have blah in your binder? And she says, yeah. And then Home started playing, and I went, ugh, out loud. <laughs> Tom, Tom was playing a game in his office and was like, what, what, are you okay? And I was like, it's Home. She's singing Home. And and then when he came up and started singing with her, I just like lost my shit. That is such a beautiful song. I thought immediately of both of you. I happened to be on the Consequence Slack channel with Clint at the time and immediately ta- talked to him. Kate, I remembered that you were in the suburbs, either teaching or with a dog or both. So I did not send the text that I typed to you, which was just home, 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 I, home, over and over and over again. I felt so happy to be part of that moment. Oh, it's just such a beautiful song and such an incredible choice for the show yeah like the perfect the perfect song that someone would just know that someone would just happen to have in their book in the 80s that makes perfect sense but when you tie it into what the story that pose is telling yeah. it's just it was just so astonishingly beautiful and what an incredible episode of tv we talked before in the fever about how billy porter already deserves an emmy for that but i feel like they double down on this one because it's just him reeling from the aftermath of this diagnosis and sort of um you know self-destructing a bit and it's just so wonderfully drawn i love it uh well my picks are a couple of netflix joints so i'm not going to talk about individual episodes rather other than just broadly seasons as a whole uh the second season of Anne with an e which is known as just Anne on the cbc where it's originally aired. Uh, The adaptation of Anne of Green Gables started its second season and they've actually included people of color in the second season and like there's a there's a Trinidadian main character now named Bash who's incredible and they do a a bunch of great things with uh, with Anne herself Amy Beck Amy Beth, uh, sorry, but Amy Beth McNulty plays Anne, and she's just brilliant and beautiful. And um, it's just a great, it's just a great sort of reinterpretation of the show. It's a little darker, I suppose, than like the the book itself, um, but it goes in some really fascinating directions and it's sort of surprisingly woke in 
not a an obnoxious way uh, or like a a, sell, a preachy way. Um, it's just it feels very natural. And um, the, the the writers room and the directors are it's primarily women, and it, it shows it's such a gentle, um, heartfelt kind of soapy show. But I really really love it. But the other the other thing I'm gonna talk about is Somebody Feed Phil, uh, another second season that just hit Netflix. Uh, Phil Rosenthal's travel food culture show, which I think I described to him actually because we have a, an interview with him that we'll uh, throw in the podcast in a little bit um, as nice no reservations uh, it, he's you know he's the guy who he's a wonderful comedian he created uh, Everybody Loves Raymond and now he's transitioned into this like second career as this really nice pleasant excitable nervous uh, food traveler and in the second season he travels all over the place he goes to Ireland Venice Copenhagen etc but it's also really interesting that he ends up in New York City and he's like every food show's done a New York show I want to do my New York show and it's really wonderfully heartfelt it's you know it's just as ebullient and joyful as you'd expect uh his parents make an appearance over Skype on every episode and it's delightful um and yeah actually I got the chance to interview Phil Rosenthal about this and not only did we talk about this show but he gave me some wonderful advice for my upcoming nuptials so enjoy that Hi, everybody. I'm here with, with Phil Rosenthal, comedy legend, uh, one of my favorite people in the world that I watch through my television, the host of Somebody Feed Phil, which currently has its second course on Netflix. Phil, thank you so much for talking with me. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. Um, my fiance and I binged the entire second course over the over the last couple of days. Oh, and, uh, no, I hope you didn't hurt yourself. I, I tried. I, I think I got full for you. Um, okay. So, you know, compared to the second season, what was the biggest change? How was how was filming the second season compared to the first? Did you learn any lessons the first time around? That uh... if you saw both uh, seasons, the first six and now these six, I think mm. you've seen the second six that I go a little bit further out of my comfort zone in a few of the episodes. Mm-hmm. Like the the bravest thing I think I've ever done on the show was take a tango lesson. <laughs> On, on camera, because I'm not very adept physically, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so dancing isn't my strong suit, and to allow myself to be publicly humiliated took a little bit of courage. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I have to tell you, that's the point of the show, not mm-hmm. to be publicly humiliated, but to not care and to move a little bit out of your comfort zone, and that includes traveling for a lot of people you know a lot of people don't travel two-thirds of americans don't even have a passport so i'm here to say go try it even you can travel in your own town you can try an ethnic restaurant in your neighborhood that you never tried before because you're scared but Mm -hmm. i want to say that the best things in life happen to you when you're willing to step out of your comfort zone a little bit and take that chance Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. You literally beat me to my next question. What your biggest leap outside your comfort zone was? And I was expecting, you know, cattle rustling or riding that roller coaster. Yeah. Well, also out of my comfort zone. But for me, for some reason, mm-hmm. I guess it's everybody has that fear of looking like an idiot. 
Uh, I don't have that fear as much as other people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is great. And I really, really appreciate that. Um, another great thing I love about the show, and I don't remember if it happened as much in the first season, is that your parents are such a big part of about every episode. You they're in, parents they're, they've episode. been in every episode. Yeah, they've yeah. been every, every episode in the first season, every episode in this season. Hopefully, if there are more seasons, we still knock wood, get to have them some more. Mm-hmm. So... You know, but they're very old, so let's go. <laughs> right, right. Let's hurry this up. Um, is Was that a normal part of your travels when you would just travel normally, just call them all the time, and it became part of the show? Or did you decide to, you know, incorporate them as part of the structure? I made a documentary about taking uh, my sitcom over to Russia uh, and turning it into everybody else's Kostya. They invited uh-huh. me to Russia and, and helped them with this translation. And so I brought a documentary film crew along, and I recommend that to you because Mm -hmm. it's also streaming on Netflix. It's called Exporting Raymond. And it's really funny because I thought I was an expert in Everybody Loves Raymond, and I went to Russia, and it turned out nobody cared. (laughs) And I Skyped with my parents then. That was about eight years ago. And the funniest part of the movie was Skyping with them. So I'm no dummy. When I got this show, I thought, you know what? The the Skype home is the modern-day equivalent of the postcard. Mm-hmm. And so there's a reason to Skype home. And I thought it would be relatable, if not hilarious, and it turned out to be both. Nice. Um, speaking of other projects, I was going to ask you about this. This wasn't. This isn't really the first travel show you did. This this con this format started out on PBS as I'll have what Phil's having. And we actually watched that. And then when somebody feed Phil came along, we were like, Oh wait, I thought he already had another show. Um, that's right. Yeah. So, um, you know, with the move from PBS to Netflix, basically like what changed, did anything change for you? Like production wise, like did Netflix have different parameters? Oh yeah. The budget is a lot more on Netflix. Now the show is in 4k, right? Mm -hmm. The high definition, uh, I always tell people everything on the show now looks beautiful except one thing. <laughs> yeah. But I also have a I have a theme song now. Yeah, the theme song's exciting. great. Mm-hmm. From Lake Street Dive, this great band that I recommend to people. Oh yeah, Get I love Lake Street Dive. Those albums, they're amazing. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Oh, I don't I know, know why I'm telling I'm, you. Um, oh no, I'm a big I'm a big fan. In fact, I became a fan after seeing their song uh, "You Go Down Smooth." Uh-huh. Music box. You should go on YouTube and look at them do that song. Mm-hmm. That's one of the best things on the internet. And so I just uh I wrote to their manager after seeing them on on in this documentary and I've never done this before, but I said they're coming to Los Angeles. I just want to get a ticket to see them. If I if if I can see them, I I'll take them to now I don't know why I even offered this. Why would they want to go out with some old guy that they've never met. And you know what? They did. They (laughs) did. They went out with me. And we became friends. And then when I had this opportunity for a theme song, there was no one else I wanted. And and I wrote to them and they said yes. So (laughs) I'm the luckiest guy in the world to have them. You know, it feels weird to place too much importance on a television show, but it kind of feels like this kind of show is something we really need right now. And Netflix oh, is actually provide. Yeah, no, seriously. Um, you know, there's it's part of this wave I think that's happening, especially on Netflix, of like really positive, loving, pluralistic TV. I mean, you know, there's the new Queer Eye, and even Nailed It has this really great positive vibe to it. Like, um, 
do you have any insight to why you think people might be gravitating more towards shows like yours right now? We all know why. Yeah, that's fair. Um, <laughs> I, mean, I, I never thought the show was political in any way, but all of a sudden, being a human being is like being a political statement. Yeah, yeah, that's true. We're we're in strange times right now. Um, yeah. But another reason I really appreciate it, I remember watching the first course and thinking to myself, this feels like a really nice no reservations. And obviously, you know, we are all struck by the, the passing of Anthony Bourdain. How did you react when you, you heard about that? It's a terrible tragedy. I was absolutely shocked, like everyone. I, I dedicate my series to him. I did it at that moment because mm-hmm. my series is really just a take on a genre that he reinvented. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'll tell you something. You know how I sold the show? You yeah. know what my pitch was? Uh-huh. This was however many years ago now, three years ago, four years ago, when it first went to PBS. I said, I'm exactly like Anthony Bourdain if he was afraid of everything. <laughs> he was a, a superhero. Yeah, yeah, he was. He really revolutionized the way we look at food and culture and that openness. And I feel like somebody if you'd feel feels like the next step in that, which is really great. Well, um, you travel all kinds of different places this season, but I was really, I really love that you finished the show by returning to your hometown in New York. What was that like? I got to be honest. I was, it was most, it was the, the, the most difficult conceptually for me because you want to do, you want to honor New York, right? You want to do, I'm like, if I'm, if I have this show, I have to do the best mm-hmm. picture of New York. I can paint, right? It has to be the best one. And as we start doing it, I go, this will be impossible. I can't do the definitive New York episode. First of all, it's too big. (laughs) I only have an hour, right? It would take years to do the definitive New York series. Mm -hmm. And I can't, and by the way, everyone on earth has made the New York show. Everyone who's (laughs) ever shot here has made the New York episode. So I realized the only thing I could do is my New York. Mm-hmm. And that's the lesson, isn't it? Yeah. You can only do what you can do. You can only present something from your point of view and what the place means to you. And when you get very specific, I found, in any kind of writing, that then it becomes universal. Mm-hmm. And so because it's our most personal episode, I think it's our best. Yeah, and I would agree. I love those conversations with you and Elaine May and Tracy Morgan. Wonderful New Yorkers, right? And, yeah. and plus you get to see my family a little bit and you get to see my parents where they live and you mm-hmm. get to see my wife and, you know, we, where we dated and, and Central Park and how special that is to us and to everyone who not only lives in New York but ever visits. They can't believe how fantastic a concept Central Park is, let alone how beautiful it is in reality. Mm-hmm. Do you have any plans for season three? Where would you like to go that you haven't already? The rest of the world. <laughs> the big world. Somebody's got to eat it. Yeah. So I'm ready. I uh, uh, call Netflix and say, uh, please order some more quickly because Phil uh, likes to go and eat. Yes, absolutely. Another thing I really want to thank you for is um, I'm I'm currently engaged to to a woman who uh, who comes from a big Jewish family. So I feel like seeing you interact with your parents is giving me great training wheels 
for um, very good having a dynamic in a Jewish family. So Can I I'm, give you some advice? Please. Just agree with everything. <laughs> Don't make trouble. Don't yeah. make trouble. Just yeah. agree. Just say, you're right. And then the conversation will go faster. Your life will be a little easier. Yeah, sounds good. That greases the wheels a bit, I suppose. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, wonderful. Well, Phil, thank you so, so much for talking with me. Um, this has been a blast. I, I'm really, really appreciative. And I'm probably going to go watch the show again. Oh, aren't you nice? All right. Yeah. And congratulations on your upcoming nuptials. Oh, well, thank you. We do what we can. Um, okay. All right. Bye. Have a great rest of your day. Bye. You too. <laughs> Oh, Clint, that was just delightful. Isn't he neat? <laughs> this is, it's, my very favorite thing is just overdoing the part where we pretend like we heard everything that you just played. Um, yep. But I can't wait to hear it in real life. Uh, I also am going to take this brief moment because I'm so excited about it. Um, one of my other jobs is writing about food and booze over at thetakeout.com, the food branch of Onion Inc. Um, and my editor there, Kevin Pang made the tuna cacao bites from this season of Somebody Feed Phil <laughs> uh, and tried them and they look and sound delicious. So if you want some sort of loose directions on how to make those for yourself, you can head to the takeout.com and, and just search Somebody Feed Phil for quite a lot of Somebody Feed Phil coverage. Uh, we, we just love the show over there. So Yes. Uh, well, now that we have our picks of the week out of the way, before we move on to our main section, uh, we must follow the tradition we've set over the last four episodes. Who cares? Uh, the Bachelorette haikus. Allison, what do you have for us? Cut short by garbage. Upside. Didn't have to watch. Poor Wills get sent home. Aww. Uh, that, if in case you're, I don't know, not watching The Bachelorette live, which I happened to be just this one time because I had a bad day, so we wanted to put on something stupid. And Dominic Suzanne Mayer was over here, and he wanted to hear Becca say, let's do the damn thing. So we watched. Uh, and it was... It was interrupted by the Supreme Court announcement, which was fucking terrible. And as a result, my DVR cut it short and I cannot be bothered to watch more. Okay, here's my first one. Based on the episode's setting. Who let the dogs out? Ruh, 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 ruh. <laughs> Who let the dogs out? Oh, boy. Rio is on the beach. Looks like Jason Momoa. Sorry, Aquaman. <laughs> nice. Uh, with that, we move on to a world of similar emotional depth. The second season of The Handmaid's Tale. That is slightly unfair shade, but I stand by it. Um, I write about the show over at the AV Club, and before we go into all of the negatives, I want to say that this is, without a doubt, one of the most consistently beautiful to look at shows on TV. It's um, just gorgeous, incredibly well filmed. Some of the writing is very good. Um, some of it is not. Most of the performances are very good to excellent. Some of them are not. And when it is good, it can be among the best shows on TV. Unfortunately, I think the second season missed more often than it hit. 
uh, something that is easier to see in hindsight than when you're watching the episodes one at a time, because there's always something good in every episode. So they all seem like kind of a mixed bag. And it's only when you get to the end and look back at the total that you think, oh gosh, okay, well, maybe this kind of limped. Kate has that perspective right away because she binged most of the season this week. So I am curious as as a person who watched it week to week, uh, Clint being a person who mostly watched it week to week, I'm very curious to hear Kate's perspective on the second season of Handmaids. Yeah, it was interesting because, of course, I watched the first, I binged the first six to review it for Consequence of Sound uh, and was overall very positive and really liked some of the choices they made and, the, and some of the directions they moved in and which characters were featured and all of that. And then I promptly did not watch it again until a few days ago and binged the second half of the season. And it was very, uh, it, like, it really impacted my take on the show because uh, the things that I really liked about the first chunk of episodes that I watched, I think were still there in the second chunk. But be- there's like a break point in the season, where, which is when June almost escapes and then, you know, gets captured again. And that feels like a, um, you know, it, that is something that they had to do because of where they wanted to go with the rest of the season. But when you get to the end of the season at the end of season two and then she again it's like okay time to go to freedom oh it'll break the show of or at least of their sense of what the show needs to be if we actually let her get to canada so uh let's have her randomly abandon her daughter with emily which is at least something but like and then go back for Hannah. I mean, it's just absurd. It's very stupid. And there's a bunch of, of things like that over the course of the second half of the season that, because I was binging it, got more frustrating with each episode. I didn't care about um, uh, Serena Joy at all, which is very different than most of the people I know who watch the show who have been all, all about uh, that performance and that character this season and really diving in. I think if you have the space after each episode where you're watching it week to week to really think about it and live with that and, and, you know, appreciate and like the, the, the small scale detailed work, nuanced work that the actors are doing that can really help. But for me, I just didn't, I didn't care. And there was um, too much back and forth. And like I didn't think they were consistent enough. I didn't think they p- built up and then paid off some of the choices and were near as much as they could have. And, um, so when we get, yeah, when we get to the end of the season, and I'm like, okay, yes, we're supposed to care about Serena Joy and the and when when June hands off Holly, who I'm calling Holly, and says to call her Nicole, uh, theoretically out of respect and appreciation towards Serena Joy, I'm just thinking, I watched her hold you down so you could be violently raped, like, 50 minutes ago. <laughs> maybe maybe an hour an hour and a half ago i'm not over that and you shouldn't be either you know like it, so the voiceover felt oppressive and really obnoxious and poorly written well performed but poorly written and and then i was talking with you Allison, and you're like oh yeah there was actually a lot less of it in the second season and because of how i watched it it felt like it was constant um so i that, it was very interesting to me because binging the first six 
I came away really positive. And binging the last seven, uh, I w- if I found it increasingly tiresome and then immediately felt bad <laughs> because of the important subject matter and the wonderful performances and the craft that goes into every element of the show. So that's sort of where I'm at with The Handmaid's Tale. And um, hit me up on Twitter at The Televerse to tell me why I am wrong and terrible. It's sort of what I'm expecting. Uh, wh- what did you guys think? <laughs> Uh, I mean, I share a lot of your thoughts, but again, I didn't binge it. And I think that makes a big difference. Um, I am mostly, I don't find Serena Joy particularly sympathetic, but I think what they're doing with her is really interesting because we don't usually see characters that are villains that are bad, um, Hey, Clint, can you, are you muting, can you mute or something? Are you eating something? Okay, just so you know, there was like glass clinking? Okay, anyway, I'm continuing. Um, We don't usually get to see characters that are villainous in some way, who also happen to be female, investigated as though they are fully-fledged, complicated human beings who are capable of both evil and good. Usually... If we get that kind of shading with a female villain, it's because it's like she's insecure about her age or she's sensitive about her beauty or it's just that she's been scorned by a man as opposed to lots of things. Um, So I, I found that story to be one of the most interesting of season two. Because she never stops being the woman that she is at the beginning of the show. A woman who basically sold out her entire gender because of a deeply misguided interpretation of her religion and because she wanted a baby. Um, And yet we get all these layers. We get to watch her process but really come to terms with exactly how terrible she is and what terrible decisions she made and how they are not just going to affect her and these handmaids which she continues to find a way to justify to herself the position that they are placed in obviously it asserts itself near the climax of the second season in this violent act of rape perpetrated against a woman with whom she forged not really a friendship but something like an intellectual partnership earlier in the season um so for me the resolution of her recognizing that the world she had created for herself was a world that was bad for the child she considered her daughter is a really interesting one but i cannot imagine watching it in the same day as the last ceremony and having to deal with that like i just can't imagine that at all I also really liked, um, and now steal yourself, Elson. I'm about to praise Josephine. Ah! <laughs> I really liked the way that the the season built in in the second half. Her awareness of like just the, the they let just it start crumbling all of the lies that they clearly are telling themselves. Like so, in the finale, when she uh, tells um, when Serena tells uh, Frank Fred. Uh, you held her down and raped her yesterday. You know, like they're not even pretending. You know that 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 this is not something that is wrong and 
violent and, you know, like they're not pretending it's holy anymore. I think that that whittling away of the pretense over the course of the season was actually very well paced and, and, and executed. And the sense of her not only realizing, well, I could deal with this for myself, but, um, oh my goodness, how, what am I setting up my daughter to, to experience that I think was paired very nicely with a sense of Fred becoming more violent, becoming more uh, dangerous and just toxic because of the culture. So like for me, it feels like it's not that this is a Heisenberg thing where it was always with that was always Walter White the whole time. This feels to me more like he has has positive and negative sides of his personality and it's the you know the the wolf you feed right is making fred you know being in gilead is making fred more violent more dismissive of his wife and more um cruel and so to watch that culminate the way it does in the last few episodes i thought was actually very successful and i think fines is doing a very good job with that i mean i not like Emmy good, but I think he's doing a good job. <laughs> well, well argued, Kate. Um, Clint, before we move on and talk about the finale and specifically that ending, uh, what are your thoughts on the season as a whole? Uh, I'm largely in lockstep with you two. It was just, um, I, I was sort of in between in terms of like um, viewing schedules. I didn't do it quite week to week, but I did binge it in like probably on average three or four episode chunks. So I still got that sense of of like lingering oppressiveness and like that ex- that expectation that I would have ruminated more on or given myself a little more space from like the consequences of some of these characters actions like with Serena Joy and all of that. I mean, I did think the the bigger emotional moments the uh, they really landed, but um I think when you binge it so like in, in these in these chunks um the tone can feel really you know, overly oppressive. And and I think maybe part of it for me is that it's either the most or least uh, the show I need the most or least right now, uh, just because that, that tone is so, so uh, incredibly dark. And yes, it is, is tackling very important issues. Um, but it just, it also just becomes that much harder to, to watch. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's, I, I'm largely in agreement after I watched the finale, for example, I, uh, Alison, I read your AV club review uh, of, of the finale and the season as a whole. And you hit on something I, I think, really resonated with me is that one of the problems with the writing this season is it kind of wants to have it both ways. It wants to have this big, um, you know, oppressive, uh, dour exploration of this really, really harsh, relevant world. And then it also wants to have those like girl power moments, uh, like the feeling good montage kind of things. And then the, the, the finale and to a certain extent, the season as a whole dabbles in both of those. And it kind of feels like you can't have it both ways. So like that, that's kind of where I landed with it. Well, thanks for reading and well said. Um, Great. So I think we got to move pretty quickly through our finale chat. We've also obviously a lot of the things we've talked about come to a head in this finale, but mostly we've got two points that I want to discuss. We'll we'll call them two and a half because I want to hear Kate's thoughts on on Annie Lennox. But before we do that... um, We've got Aunt Lydia's tumble down the stairs, and we've got June's choice to stay in Gilead. Um, 
one of which I'm j- I just want to talk about, and the other of which fills me with rage. So, um, so let's talk about Aunt Lydia first. Uh, first of all, I was on a conference call with Bruce Miller earlier this week. He confirmed, uh, of course, there's no way they're killing off Anne Dowd, which I, I think, to be honest, is kind of a problem for the show because they've got a bunch of great actors and no desire to kill any of them. That's actually sort of the third time, we'll call it like the two and a half time that that's happened this season. The first being the bombing that resulted only in the deaths of people we don't know, uh, of Glenn and the deaths of people that we don't know. And, um, and the sort of half time, uh, being when, um, Emily's teeth start coming out. Um, so they love these actors and want to keep them employed, but as a result, um, they really are only willing to kill people that we only know briefly, it seems like. Still, that scene I thought was pretty thrilling, um, and I think that Alex Waddell and Ann Dowd are great together, and I'm a little bit bummed that this means we're unlikely ever to see them in a scene together again. <laughs> yeah, no, like, the moment itself is really thrilling. Like, it was, it reminded me of that Martin Balsam tumbling down the stairs in Psycho moment. Uh, yeah, like, even just on a stu- on a sheer spectacle stunt level, I was like, yeah, get her! Um, but but uh, yeah, no, I completely agree. They can't kill Aunt Dowd, and as you said, they 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 don't. So I'm curious as to like where they'll take Aunt Lydia here from here. You know? Yeah, it was fucking awesome. <laughs> it was great, <laughs> and um, and specifically, I enjoyed that they put her over the banister and had her hit the side, like as opposed to just like oh, down the stairs, brutal. right? Which is normally what you see in this type of a moment. Um, yeah, it was it was so well done, and um, to watch and just to watch. Bladell as as Emily makes that choice. It's like, yeah, we're doing this. And stab and then kick some more and then like, oh, it was great. <laughs> I also enjoyed that moment we got earlier in the season. It was a nice little like callback to Emily kicking the guy who the the commander who had a heart attack while raping her. Um, which was another just to watch her get that step towards where we see her go uh was very satisfying but um yeah that was great and yes the the their unwillingness to kill people uh, you know kill their amazing actors is a problem just like their unwillingness to let june leave gilead and then she can decide to go back in next season it would not be hard um <laughs> doesn't make any sense and is stupid um it's hurting the show and i hope that they come up with creative answers like there's stuff that they could do and hopefully they will come up with creative solutions as opposed to convenient solutions i um there's a there's a world in which i think even though i found this really infuriating that that ending could be well executed because you take a step back and it's first she tries to get out and can't then she's in a position to get out but it would mean possibly her death, almost certainly the death of her newborn baby. So she chooses to be captured. And in the third, she's presented with the opportunity to leave and chooses to remain to do what we don't really know. Although the like Obi-Wan Kenobi putting up his hood shot seems to me to suggest some sort of like badass, let's start the fight now thing, which seems incredibly implausible but um but that seems How? to be what they're going for i i don't How? know <laughs> she's like, like she, she can't go back they know what she here. looks like she like she can't she go and endanger all the marthas that just helped her out like I know. oh my it's just so stupid yep 
It's I Kate, it actually hadn't occurred to me that she could leave and then say, I want to go back and I want to lead a group of people. I know where things are. I know people who can help us. Can you please outfit me with tactical gear? And like, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's equally as implausible, but slightly less so. Um, so yeah, they're smuggling people out. That means there has to be a way that they cross the border and she could get back in the same, like, and I did like the underground Martha railroad for what it's worth. Like that That was was super cool. cool. Yeah. And and a way better way to do the girl power thing. Way better. Yes. I, um, I just, I feel like there is a way to do what they did well, but the way that the season was structured and the amount of dragging its feet that it did, um, and the continued displays of, oh man, I guess we didn't think about that as hard as we should have, sort of undermine that. Like, Elizabeth Moss sold that ending. I believed her, but there are times when Elizabeth Moss sells it, and it, she sells it so hard that I believe the show. And there are times that Elizabeth Moss sells it, and it's not enough. And this was a time where it was not enough. I just did not buy that she would think, well, the best way for me to save my daughter is to be totally powerless and without allies in a place where I am going to die, right? Like, they're just, they're, that's not the way to do it. They, it didn't, it just didn't work. Uh, and it makes me very concerned about season three. Well, it's such an action movie move, right? And it doesn't seem to fit like the nuances of what the show is going for, that there's like more practical you know, winning by inches victories that can happen as opposed to like, I'm this lone wolf on the run and I'm going to like hide out in the woods and become, like you said, Obi-Wan Kenobi. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's so, I feel like it betrays the the sensibilities of like the first couple seasons. And it's like, imagine if children of men ended like that, you know? Are we going to like get flashbacks to her early days in the Girl Scouts or the Venture Scouts and find out that she's actually was a was a prepper before all this. And so she can live off the land. I mean, come on. It's ridiculous. And yes, it's satisfying in the moment. Um, And like you said, Allison and Clint, like it like the performance is great, but like it's just immediately it's not even a fridge thing. It's not like late late night, like the the Hitchcock go go to the fridge and it falls apart thing in the middle of the night. Um, It's just almost instantly. It's like, but okay, is she going to change those clothes or is she just going to be an unescorted handmaid that the instant she is seen, she will be arrested? Because I suspect that where we're headed, and it remains implausible, but I suspect that somehow she's planning on finding um, post-apocalyptic Josh Lyman and, um, and getting some sort of contact with... Mayday or some other resistance organization through him um, because she's seen his face, obviously, and um, he is obviously connected with this network of Martha's that Rita is a part of because these two things were linked. And clearly his Martha is some sort of part of that. Um, I think her name is Cora. Uh, so that's where I suspect it's going, but she doesn't even know his name and like, well, I don't know how she's going to get there. Anyway, um, I think with that, we should probably move on to our episode and MVP picks, which we will probably be keeping pretty brief. Uh, Clint, what were your picks for the, well, let's do best first. What was your pick for the best episode of the season? 
Um, it's something we talked about a few weeks back. Uh, I still really, really like the last ceremony, if for no other reason than like just those that incredibly powerful scene near the end um, of of June seeing her daughter for the first time in forever, uh, ever since getting captured and becoming a handmaid. And it's just it's just a, a tour de force of directing. I think it's when the show is at its best. Um, you know, both both uh, Elizabeth Moss and the actress who plays uh, Hannah were phenomenal. Uh, uh, Yellen Chang's writing is great and the direction was stellar. And it's just and weirdly enough, like I think the ending of that could have been a really fascinating, ominous uh, season finale note you know like that that sort of mild cliffhanger i think would have been interesting and uh yeah i just i just really enjoyed uh that for and then the the episode as a whole um you know that's the episode that features the the you know the rape again and it's such a harrowing terrifying moment and uh and then you get those little other moments like the um you know, like the opening scene with the uh, the other commander uh, with that that dies uh, while performing the ceremony with Emily. Um, it's just a it's just a great episode, and I really enjoyed it. Kate, what was your pick for the best episode of the season? I went with Unwoman um, because I really liked the what we got at the beginning of the season with the sense of place, which is something that I I thought the second half of the season season really lost and really uh, the. As soon as we were all just back in the exact same closed off environs, it, you know, it, it lost something. So I, I loved that episode spent in the day, uh, the Boston Globe. And I also really liked the flashbacks that we got with Emily, Alexis Bledel's character, um, and Clay Duvall. I always pop, enjoy her when she pops up. But, um, for, for, for me, the, um, the, the introspection of that, the time that we spent and, and getting to see so much, um, nonverbal storytelling was something I really appreciated. And um, the rest of the season, there are high and low parts of the show for me or moments or ideas. But for me, it's it's actually a rather consistent thing. Um, so I have I like we're going to get to our least favorite episodes. And I don't I don't have a pick for that because there's great stuff in most of the episodes. But there's also things that are really frustrating for me. So the one that had the best ratio for me of stuff I really liked to things that were frustrating was on women. So I went with that. That makes a ton of sense. And I had a very similar experience in picking my least favorite episode of The Bunch. Um, and we'll talk about that in just a second. Uh, I also picked The Last Ceremony, but I'm going to take this little minute to talk about other women um, which is the fourth episode of the season, which begins with June back in the Waterford's household, going through Serena Joy's baby shower and just refusing to pretend that everything is cool, um, which then leads to, for me, what's perhaps the most haunting moment of the series, which I wish they had followed through on and sort of drawn out a little bit longer as uncomfortable it was to live there, watching June shut down and sort of become Offred again um, with the this voiceover in which she just repeats, we've been sent good weather, we've been sent good weather, we've been sent good weather, was for me perhaps the most powerful moment, um, save the scene with Hannah of the second season. 
Uh, it also features a great guest performance from new Emmy nominee Kelly Jenrette, um, who I didn't see turn up on really any lists of, hey, who's who we think? Who's going to be nominated for what? There were lots of Handmaid's performances on basically every drama acting list that you were reading for the Emmys, but I didn't see her name much, and it was a pleasant surprise to see her there. Uh, Clint, what was your pick for the weakest episode of the season? I had a similar approach to picking my worst, I think, as the as the two of you, where there there wasn't an episode that I outright hated where I thought that the entire thing was a wash. Um, but I decided to pick postpartum uh, just because um, it could also be recency bias, but it was just honestly for nothing else than that drowning scene, which I felt like was more evidence. It was evidence of of just how harsh Handmaid's Tale can be, and I get that that's by design, but it felt like one thing too many for me. It was just like tragedy stacked on top of tragedy stacked on top of tragedy with like no end in sight, um, which weirdly enough also gave me a curious whiplash to by the end of the word having that strangely optimistic note and suddenly they're achieving all of these victories against uh, Gilead. Um, it was just, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. It's, it's tough to sort of pick one individual one, but I think just like the sheer, the sheer bummeritude of, of, of that kind of moment, which was just, you know, so heartbreaking to watch made that made me pick postpartum for that one. Kate, what about you? If you had to, or maybe instead of an episode, if there's like a particular moment or storyline that didn't work for you. Oh man. Um, Okay. I did not care for, like, I just didn't, I didn't care about Eden. I Like, right at the end of the, the, the thing, the, the season, I did, like, I, the, her last episode I really engaged with, but until then, I just, I just really, I just really didn't care. I, I was, um, June talking to Nick being like, oh, you mean you have to have sex with someone you don't want to? so you don't die that's really sad for you like that's sort of the like the where i was at with that character um and it's not down to the performance or anything it's just i think my my lack of patience with certain elements of the show like feeling like they were glorifying or trying to get you to like serena joy rather than be interested in her and some of these other choices were using up some of my patience with the show and again i'm just going to repeat i shouldn't have binged it i should have kept up with it week to week and then i'm sure i wouldn't be saying this well i um i think i'm gonna sort of echo your pick with mine uh in terms of the episode that was the most frustrating for me that was the finale based on that ending and also because i feel like if they had pulled the finale off it would have justified a lot of the choices they made during the season but they didn't so here we are um but i'm also going to echo your concerns about the way that eden's storyline was handled um i think that that was a character of an incredible amount of potential i think that when part of living in a society that is uh, terrifying and horrible is that when, when there are impressionable young minds, you have an opportunity to mold them and sculpt them into something evil. Um, but they don't know that that's what's happening to them, right? Like this girl is young enough that when Gilead started, she would have been 10, maybe younger. Um, and was seemingly already religious, religious enough to be hiding a Bible, despite the fact that in this world, God doesn't want her to read. And they created a world where you can weaponize 
someone's belief against other people. So she was this pitiable figure, this character that was worthy of great sympathy, deserving of great sympathy, and turned her into a ticking time bomb, and then completely blew that as a thing that they could be using. Um, they just removed the entire, th- that whole thing from the board for no reason um, other than to sort of spur Serena to this action that was never going to work. Um, so I found that storyline really frustrating. I will say, however, that actor, Sydney Sweeney, um, is also in a supporting role in Sharp Objects and is great in that. Um, and uh, was in, oh God, what was the Netflix kid series that got canceled? Oh, Everything Sucks? Yes, she was in Everything Sucks. Nice. Um, Netflix Freaks and Geeks is how I file it in my head. Yeah, <laughs> and it was solid. I, I was sad that, that getting canceled, um, yeah. So real quick, uh, we also want to talk about our MVP picks as we usually do here. In this case, I'm following Caroline Cita's lead. She... Uh, wrote our finale review for The Handmaid's Tale and just removed Elizabeth Moss as an option for herself in choosing her MVP because, of course, it's Elizabeth Moss. Um, So I'm curious to know who you liked besides Elizabeth Moss in this season. Kate, who did you pick? Um, I Just a little shout-out to Sam uh, Yeager, Jaeger, who people will know from Parenthood as Joel, who pops up. He's popped up in this and also in Reverie as random hunky dude there to be a potential, like flirty ch- change up the dynamic mix thing here he's the one he's the guy in Canada from Hawaii um and he was really fun in his like two scenes but um my actual um MVP pick is Madeline Brewer who I thought was terrific um throughout uh, that's and again it's one of those characters that could be so like Janine could just be a complete joke and I feel like the strength of Brewer's performance and the some of the writing they give her the way that they manage to never lose this flighty uh sort of ridiculous aspect of her character while still giving her some really interesting and thoughtful things to do and say uh was one of the stronger bits of characterization throughout the season here here she's great Clint who's your pick uh, I'll just, I'll, I'll be basic and talk about Avon Strahovski. I know, Kate, you have your issues with her, but I did find her really interesting this season. I mean, I think one reason why Eden, for example, disappointed me, uh, at least the way they took her character, is that it seemed that second season of Handmaid's Tale was really trying to explore um, in greater detail the psychology and motivations behind women who actively participate in this system. And, uh, you know, with Eden, they cut that short, but I felt like, you know, Uh, I am going to touch briefly on um, the life, the legend, the celebration, and Dowd, um, who had a lot less to do this season, but managed to do quite a lot with it. I was particularly interested in the the brief storyline where... June recognizes that Aunt Lydia is a person who is absolutely not trustworthy, sympathetic, or decent in any respect except for her pure love for babies and enlists her as an ally in this one tiny corner of her life. I thought that was really interesting. Um, But God, I love Alexis Bledel. Um, I was, I'm a big Gilmore Girls fan she is obviously not the shining light of Gilmore Girls, was a strength more often than she was a liability, but I don't know that anybody running down uh, the list of reasons that Gilmore Girls was great would center on her performance. 
Uh, but man, does she just kill it here and watching her grow increasingly more comfortable with this person that she's playing while we watch Emily grow more, oh God, I don't know, sharp edged. Uh, I think back to the person who talked about good ice cream being better than good sex in the pilot, or maybe that was the episode two, um, who was full of life and this need to sort of take down Gilead and these tentative um, outstretched arms to other people and to the woman who says, I'm wondering why such an important man would want such a shitty handmaid. Um, And they seem like the same person, but put through a ringer. And that sort of transfer, slow transformation, I think, is incredibly accomplished. I think that the episodes that we have in the colonies are terrific. Her scenes with Brewer in the colonies are terrific. Her scenes with Whitford are among my favorite in the series so far, particularly the terrifying scene where they're sitting across the table from each other, in which she is mostly silent, um... I just think that she is great. And here, Kate, is where I'm going to ask you about what you think about walking on broken glass. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. Uh, the Handmaid's Tale has gone from a show wherein I revel in their musical choices to a show wherein I dread their musical choices. And where I, it's what you guys had already said. I, they're trying to get these really empowering moments out of the music, but it's just increasingly dishonest. Every time they do it, it gets less honest. And so I still think You Don't Own Me is just an incredibly viscerally powerful moment in the end of the pilot of the of the series and so effective and terrific and great. And then the, they got some flack for continuing to go to these different like empowerment musical moments over the course of the first season and then started the second season in a way that really made you think they had learned that lesson and they were backing off on that and they were being more honest about what it would be like to be in this reality like with the 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 you know the results the consequences of their their rebellion at the end of the first season you know like just how harsh that was in the start of the second season and then by the end of the second season they're doing the exact same thing again ah Uh, It's very frustrating. See, I kind of loved this one and it took me a couple days to come around to it. And I do think that that part of the reason that it didn't work is because the show stumbled elsewhere in the finale. But the knowing what they're doing with this character and Whitford is returning for season three, knowing what they're doing with this character where they're sort of doing like an Oppenheimer thing. Someone created a system and then is... Um, revolted and um, incredibly remorseful about what he's created and is trying to find a way somehow to make amends, uh, I think is really interesting. Um, But knowing that when we're in that scene in the car, when he's furious with this woman and furious with himself and is doing the only decent thing, which is almost certainly going to get him killed, that he would revel in something like pop music while not thinking about the fact that it must be absolute torture for the terrified woman in his backseat, who he has not told, by the way, I'm taking you to freedom now, is really interesting to me. And if The Handmaid's Tale can't be insightful, incisive, thoughtful, probing, 
drama, which I just don't think that it can. It can hit that sometimes, but I, it feels like in season two, more often than not, it missed. Then I want to play with this sort of gothic tone. If what we're getting is like dystopia porn, if we're watching a horror series, then we can at least play with tone. Not be playful, but play with what exactly is horrifying? Like, how can we curdle the blood? Because that scene was terrifying. And in hindsight, makes sense in a way that it doesn't when you're watching it for the first time. Um, but it felt really out of place. So I both loved it and was really frustrated by it. Anyway, Walking on Broca's Glass. Good song. That's a good song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, any closing thoughts before we move on to some brief Emmys chat? I really hope they stick the landing with um, Whitford. Because that character has so much potential. Mm-hmm. But I, I just hope they, again, I hope they go for an interesting and creative solution to what they start setting up here and not an easy one. Yeah. And I'm not encouraged by some of their other choices because I feel like they went easy with Serena Joy. Yeah, I or they, agree. They went accessible, you know. So we'll see. I um, I have a little more faith there but I think some of that is just because I think Bradley Whitford can often make the unworkable work. Um, so, yeah. But God, do you see what I mean about it being such a relief that there's a male actor on the show of, like, great complexity? <laughs> like, it's like, it's, it's insane how the dynamic changes. All of a sudden, I was like, what is what is happening? I'm interested in a male character on The Handmaid's Tale? What's mm. going on? Holy shit. So I am into that. Um, speaking of... Uh, Bradley Whitford let's talk about the Emmys uh, which are things that he has won Mm -hmm. um, in the past did you like that that was great he's got two one for the West Wing and one for Transparent is that right I think that's right sure yeah sure I was gonna say like did he actually win because I know there were several years where all of the West Wing guys were up against each other yeah no he won for Noel he the Emmy he picked up was the season that Noel is in and that was the episode he submitted um, or one of the episodes he submitted. Um, yeah, I think the the only one who was like, well, Dulé Hill was totally shut out, which sucks. Um, although they big, gave Charlie basically nothing to do in the last seasons except for um, like tell people that someone was on the phone. <laughs> and that's all yeah. he did. Um, but but the big shutout there is Martin Sheen. I guess Janelle Maloney too, but the big shutout is Martin Sheen. Schiff got one. Spencer got one. Whitford got one. Some other people. Uh, obviously, Alice and Jenny got a whole truckload. Um, so, Emmy nominations. You can read a whole bunch of our thoughts about this at consequenceofsound.net. Uh, Kate and Clint and Dominic and Caroline and I busted out a whole bunch of words about the Emmy nominees on that fateful day, including who we would like to see win, who we think is going to win, and who we wish had been nominated. Uh, but we're going to touch on some of the the greatest hits there. Um So I am curious to know your general thoughts on this year's Emmys. Clint, why don't you kick us off? Uh, Yeah, I think it's a really interesting spread. I think uh, once we get into like our best surprises, I think the overarching um, takeaway that I have from it is it seems like I think Netflix has now eclipsed HBO number in in number of nominations now uh, this year. And I think that's a really interesting indicator of the trajectory of where TV is going. Uh, Less and less reliance on network shows. I think that's really cool. And also, I don't know how the industry is going to react to that information. And I, I hope they don't fuck it up um yeah i just in general I'm, I'm really really excited i think there's some interesting new shows on the horizon 
that that got some their their time in the sun and uh yeah just in general i'm pretty i'm pretty happy with it with a few caveats i don't watch some of the shows that got a bunch of nominations so like i don't watch uh westworld i was surprised to see so many nominations for like altered carbon and stuff um so there, there are a handful of those that I don't don't watch and so I can't really have an opinion on. There were many I was very excited about and then a bunch more that I was like, oh, what? Why? What is what is happening? How did Into the Badlands get shut out for stunts? Have you seen that show? Oh, my gosh. Um, so that's sort of where I was at with with this. I, I just, I've learned to celebrate and appreciate the uh, nominations that go to people that I think are deserving and that especially the ones I didn't expect the Academy to recognize. Um, but what was nice this year for me was that there was less eye rolling on my part for, you know, look, it's another sweep from the matter modern family cast. Don't get me wrong. It's they're all very talented, but they all got a bajillion awards and they're not to my knowledge, they're not doing anything new over there anymore. So I was very happy that they did not steal, like, or not steal, but, like, close out entire categories. You know, so so there was less of the frustrating, but did y'all even watch TV this year, kind of nominations that I think have happened a bit in the, the past several years. I agree. I There are obviously things that I would wish for. I think there are a few, like, man, that would have been nice and that's really deserving, but I'm not surprised it's out there. And a couple things I find totally bizarre, but we will get to those. Mostly though, I think a pretty good crop. I think this sort of proves what was already sort of proven last year, which is that it's really good when um, juggernaut TV shows take a year off. It can be good for those shows creatively. Um, although it wasn't, We'll see. It remains to be seen whether or not that'll be the case for Game of Thrones. Again, it wasn't particularly in this case. Um, but I think hopefully we'll be good for Veep. More importantly, it's really good for other shows that could sneak in and get some Emmy nominations, thus getting potentially some more money, some new viewers, all that stuff. Um, so yeah, let's uh, let's talk about our favorite surprises, Clint. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I guess I touched on one of them a little bit before. It was like no modern, no modern family. I mean, I think modern family is now not in the outstanding comedy series category for like how many years now? God knows, like five, six, something like that. Um, but uh, I think the real surprise, going back over the nominations again, just refreshing myself, is that Cameron Britton got nominated for Mindhunter for playing Ed Kemper, who uh, a character, I a character and show I'd forgotten about like months ago but uh, I was actually really really surprised and delighted that the that the Emmy voters remembered him because he was incredible such an uncanny representation of a real life figure but also imbued him with such complexity and dark humor that uh, it's a really it's like a breakout role for him I hope he gets some more attention because of this uh good pick Kate what about you I had to give some uh some love to a particular one that, uh, but but before uh, before I mention, I we should I shouldn't have done that. One. First, I was very glad that Maslani Tatiana Maslani uh, did get a final nomination for the the end of Orphan Black because it like it still boggles the mind how amazing of a performance that is. Those are those are, uh, but the one that I was particularly uh, chuffed by is uh, Megan Amram getting um, an Emmy for me. She's a step closer. She's been nominated for an Emmy and for, for the show. So as a producer, but also as the, the, the lead and we will keep fingers and toes crossed for her because that is just too glorious um, and just too wonderful a thing. If this actually works out for her, I'm going to be super excited. 
Did anyone else, was anyone else like slightly livid that they didn't throw in Darcy Carden for that same thing? <laughs> uh, I, I mean, it would have been nice, but. It would have been funny, but um, yeah. I uh, would like to remind you all what she reminded us on Twitter, which is that the show is called An Emmy for Megan, not two nominations for Megan. <laughs> so she has to win before it all really happens. It's so funny. Uh, I picked Keenan Thompson's nomination for Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live, which I think is just delightful. I'm not a huge SNL fan. I certainly don't watch every week, but he has been one of the MVPs of SNL for what, like 15 years? Yeah. Um, is regularly in some of the funniest sketches that they do. Um, and this is his first nomination, which is just astounding. So that made me really, really excited. It would be cool if he could squeak out a win. That's not going to happen, but it would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> He's paid his dues, certainly. So worst surprise, how about that? And we're going to immediately put out there that the uh, near shutout of Twin Peaks from the major categories is sort of astonishing. Um, No Kyle MacLachlan, no Laura Dern, no series, nuts. There are writing nods, directing nods, a bunch of well-earned technical nods for Chapter 8. But yeah, that's that's just sort of a blanket one. Clint, what else surprised you in a not-so-great way? Uh, well, I mean, I was marginally happy that Glow got some, got a couple of nods. I mean, one for Outstanding Comedy Series and another for Betty Gilpin, who both both nominations richly deserved. But I think that it's strange that Glow is nominated for Best Comedy Series, but or sorry, Outstanding Comedy Series, but doesn't have many other nominations besides that or any. Um, you know, nothing for Alison Brie, nothing for Mark Maron, nothing for any of the writing or directing, especially I would have loved to have seen uh, The Good Twin, Episode 8, get a lot of attention. I mean, I guess it's still of season one but either way season one is is full of uh, a bunch of incredible television plenty of great episodes they could have even given some technical awards to um so i think it's one of the best new shows on tv right now and it to, to, for it to only be marginally rewarded in that way uh seems criminal to me they will be eligible next year because this the season of glow that we're on now is um the is not eligible so so if you're watching Glow right now, what you're watching is what will be trumpeted at the Emmys next year. Kate, what about you? What were what were some not so good surprises? Um, the some of the music nominations, which we'll get to in a little bit, uh, were puzzling to me. Uh, but the the big one is that I was very surprised that the Good Place, which I thought we had just kind of as a culture all agreed and understood, was like amazing last year um and like the this from june like this last season did didn't get nominated for like any of the main categories except for ted danson and uh like i was expecting more writing and direction i was expecting guest stars well i guess you know maya rudolph got got nominated but i was expecting definitely best comedy like i i think one day at a time should have gotten nominated for a bunch of that stuff too but i didn't actually expect it would I, I was very surprised that The Good Place did not get more nominations. Uh, I was too, and was also very sad. Um, I am going to continue on the comedy theme and say that I was genuinely surprised about the lack of Rita Moreno. I think that a bunch of the cast members of One Day at a Time are well worthy of praise. There are some also great guest performances in the second season. Um, but while I would love to see Justina Machado in the mix, I didn't expect to. I did, however, expect to see Rita Moreno, who is 
basking in sort of a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth turn in the limelight um, is one of the best parts of a great show. Uh, and is it's the kind of performance that voting bodies of awards shows usually like to reward. Um, so maybe it's because she's already got an EGOT, so what, she doesn't need like an EGOOT. Um, but I was really <laughs> surprised to see that. Uh, Kate, let's go back to those music snubs. Justice for Crazy Ex-Girlfriend! <laughs> <laughs> nothing Not even choreography. N- nothing! I mean, I know I wasn't my favorite, but everybody else seemed to love uh, First Penis, and uh, that nothing there. Let's generalize about men, of course. Fuck ton of cats! Come on! It's hilarious! Like, And that's the kind of song that the Emmys often likes to award. And, like, Dick in the Box got, got one, and, like, so... I was very surprised that there wasn't a single, a single nomination for Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Oh, man. Yeah, Yeah. I was shocked. I thought Let's Generalize About Men was going to be a lock. I mean, last year, um, We Tapped That Ass was nominated. So, like, (laughs) uh, which is great. It's a great song. It's not my favorite song from season two, but it's a great song. But I thought for sure... That particularly given the sort of moment that it had when that episode aired that Let's Generalize Men would make the cut. Instead, we got uh, a song from A Christmas Story Live written by (laughs) Pasek and Paul. And I know I'm in the minority there as a culture, but I just don't like any of their shit. I'm sorry. Um, Do you remember a single song from La La Land? Because if you do, it's probably just because it's irritating. Anyway, um, (laughs) not a fan. I, I, oh, you know, This Is Me will get played at every high school graduation, though. Um, I have to admit that I have not seen Big Mouth, so I do not know. Uh, am I gay? That It was fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh-huh. There is a song called If You're Not in the Obit, Eat Breakfast. Or it's from If You're Not in the Obit, Eat Breakfast. The song is called Just Getting Started, which I didn't know about. Um, Chance the Rapper is nominated for Comeback Barack, which... Makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a song from the Steve Martin and Martin Short comedy special on Netflix and a Jonathan Colton song from The Good Fight. Uh, Kate, did you happen to catch that one? Yeah, and it's fine. <laughs> right. But like, if you're going to do a Schoolhouse Rock one, I would have done the one by The Roots from Blackish, which was better. Uh, I look forward to next year when hopefully these five extra episodes will mean there are more chances for the Emmys to award Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Also because I hope that that Sarah Bareilles, Josh Groban, we all lose, but you are yeah. great song gets an Emmy nomination, <laughs> which they could then lose. Yeah, there you go. Right. Um, it, if you had to pick one person, say that you were able to like hack the Emmys and you could pick one person or show or team to get a nomination just one because you only had 30 seconds and then like security it's like the americans but for emmys right um what what would you sneak in ah balls okay because i have two but you said just it's one. okay because you're a better than average spy you can have two okay yeah. <laughs> okay because i feel like we all know one day at a time is great and so the people are talking about that that's not my pick nobody's talking about queen sugar and they should be and but at least it'll have future opportunities. So the one that won't have future opportunities, halt and catch fire because it's done. But this last season was beautiful and gorgeous, one of the best things on TV last year, and it didn't get anything. Clint, what about you? 
Uh, well, I'll echo the the sentiment that one day at a time should have been nominated for anything. But also, I will stand for my favorite, The Expanse. I'm I'm floored. I'm sure Sci-Fi didn't even bother to to put them up for anything. But uh, even just like tech awards, Viz Effects awards, production design, uh, that kind of stuff. Or even if I had my druthers about acting noms, uh, David Strathairn or Elizabeth Mitchell as guest actors for this season. Uh, I obviously would just like move heaven and earth to get somebody from Crazy X, specifically either Rachel Bloom or Donalyn Champlin, a an acting nomination. Um, but I'm going to give my love, since we've already talked about Crazy X a lot, to The Terror, which I was astonished to see not get a nomination. Um in any of the acting categories, in the limited series category, which is totally baffling to me, the picks for limited series are just nuts. They ignored some of the very best TV of the year. The Terror, they ignored Alias Grace, they ignored American Vandal. It's very strange. Um, and I specifically want to tip my hat to Tobias Menzies, who is one of my favorite actors on the planet and was snub not, snubbed not once but twice, both for The Terror and for Outlander, a mediocre season in which he was astonishingly good. Um, so, yeah. And then, I, like, I, I don't know, and Sarah Gadden for Alias Grace. Like, there are a ton of really, really good picks that went overlooked, and that sucks. Uh, but speaking of picks and things going overlooked... Let's really quick blow through our picks for next week. Clint, what are you excited to watch next week? All right. Well, I'm caught up on the bold type, Woo-hoo! so thank you for that. Thank you for the recommendation. <laughs> uh, and I'm looking forward to next week, which I've actually already seen, but it's called Betsy. And it deals with some really interesting um, character dynamics. I mean, uh, Jane and Sutton have a discussion about gun issues. And then also there's a discussion about um, about polyamory and open relationships and everything. And uh, it's just a generally overall great episode of, the, of an already good season. Melora Hardin's great. That's it. Kate, what are you excited about? Dietland's been really interesting. I mean, it's been interesting since it started, but I think it's it's uh, going into some interesting stuff um, and transitioning towards the end of its season. So that episode is going to be Rad Fatties. So we'll see what happens with that. But mostly I'm going to be at San Diego Comic-Con. So I'm going to be going to the Crazy Ex-Girlfriend panel. What? And also the Steven Universe and Good Place panels that are back to back. Very excited. So I will be mostly in the Comic-Con world. Oh, I just, I'm going to need you to just like take a little. I'm going to be live tweeting. Something. Like send me a little message, something. So I can live vicariously through you in this uh, Crazy Axe panel, the Good Place panel, and the Steven Universe panel as a new fan. I'm very excited. Uh, my pick is, I just, the world is a total garbage fire. And when I'm not falling into the warm, lovely embrace of Pose, which always makes me feel better about the world, even when it's really sad and difficult, um, sometimes I just want stupid comedy. So I'm excited for the very positive reviews being received by Trial and Error, the second season of NBC's summer slog mockumentary series uh, about a small town law lawyer um and it's a procedural as he like does stuff this year the um the sort of villain the questionable figure is uh not john lithgow but Kristen chenoweth and her notices are really positive so i'm looking forward to watching something really dumb and just enjoying the hell out of it uh and uh maybe that'll just be me and that's fine <laughs> Um, but with that, we have to sign off because Kate has to go either take care of a dog or teach someone how to play the violin or hang out with her family or pack for San Diego Comic Con. I'm not sure which, but we are seven minutes late in getting her out the door. (laughs) (laughs) So sorry, Kate. It's probably all of them. Right now, that dog has to pee and some child is crying because I I actually am going to go 
pick up a violin, yes, before the show, <laughs> the, the shop closes. So yes, that is what I need to do. Okay. Well, um, well, thank you so much for being here. Kate, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me um, on Twitter at The Televerse. The Televerse is my weekly TV podcast. You can find that at theteleverse.org. And you can find us a bunch of my writing this week at uh, Consequence of Sound, as well as right now I'm covering the Great British Baking Show for the AV Club. You can find that there going up Saturday mornings. But it has been a delight. Thank you all. You can find me on Twitter at Allison Shu. You can also find my writing at consequenceofsound.net, the AV Club, the takeout, rogerebert.com, and wherever fine pop culture programming is sold clint where can they find you you can find me on twitter at alka hollywood and also my writing as senior writer at consequence of sound and i also am the editor of both the podcast and website alka hollywood actually currently we're covering fantasia festival remotely which i'm very excited about um and i think that's it yeah i am also (laughs) so i'm on a couple of other podcasts one of them is my very delightful, weird, ugly stepchild, Podlander Drunk Cast and Outlander Podcast, one of my very favorite things to do in the entire world. We just found out that we will be doing not one but two panels at Wizard World Chicago in August. As a result, they have given us a discount code. If you would like to go to Chicago's Wizard World and see Sebastian Stan and the cast of Outlander and a bunch of other really great actors doing cool things, you can save 20% off your admission by using the code podlander uh and that's that's it and ask me about it at podlandercast that's where you can find us on twitter you can find us on facebook at facebook.com slash tv party pod you can find us on twitter at tv party cos and you can find us on consequence of sound.net at consequence of sound.net <laughs> uh, leave us a review on iTunes, Podchaser, whatever your podcast platform may be. TV Party is a production of the Consequence Podcast Network. Check out our expanding roster of music, film, and television podcast programming at consequencesound.net. TV Party is recorded and produced in Chicago, Illinois, and recorded and engineered by stalwart fan of Ivan <laughs> Strahovski and diehard lover of the expanse, Clint Always. Worthington. Thanks to Kate for being here. Thanks to you for listening. And thanks to the Emmys for nominating Tina Thompson. (laughs) I guess that's it. Bye. Justice for Stan. Consequence Podcast Network.